Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey friends, welcome to another edition of the Tennis and Bagels podcast. It is me, your host, Vanj, and today I'm joined by my good friend, Owen Lewis, and we're going to recap the Paris Masters that just took place, and we're going to look ahead to the year-end championships, the World Tour Finals in Turin with the top eight players. So this should be a fun episode. Hey there, Owen. How are you doing? Doing well. Excited for this. Um, I haven't been able to watch a ton of tennis, but I did see most of the, um, the semi with Djokovic and Tsitsipas, followed other results, so um, should have some fun stuff to talk about. For sure, yeah. Let's actually let, let's start with Djokovic because um, he's obviously uh, not played nearly as enough tennis as he normally does uh, yeah. during the season, and he's missed four Masters 1000s, two majors. Um, obviously, he's been doing really well ever since he won Wimbledon. Just that one loss in the Labor Cup, just as prior to Paris, obviously. Um, he didn't win the Paris Masters. Spoiler alert for anyone who didn't know. <laughs> but, but, I mean... Um, but still, like he, he's still so good that he can still make the top eight despite missing all these mandatory tournaments for the players. And uh, yeah, so um, yet again another final, yet again some really good matches and performances. And I think even though he lost the final, I think he can be, uh, you know, feeling still pretty good, like overall about his his chances. Yeah, I think so too. And before this tournament, when he was sort of cleaning up at the little tournaments, and people were saying like oh, he's still the best player in the world. I didn't really... I thought it was too soon to say that, but I can get behind that a little bit more now because some of the stuff he did in Paris was outrageous. Um, mm-hmm. The dissection of Musetti, the first set against Tsitsipas, um, and then coming through to win that final tiebreak. Like, I think his peak level is probably as good as it's ever been. He did some pretty scary things in Paris, uh, form-wise. Um and um, and he did them against top opponents, which I think is key. So, yeah, I mean, World Tour Finals, like, I don't think he's going to win them just because he hasn't in seven years. But ahead of 2023, yeah, like, things seem good. Yeah, I agree with that. I guess now we can sort of dive into um, in, into the semis. Actually, before... Uh, yeah, actually, let's cover the semis first. So we're going to... Um, so I guess it was uh, Djokovic against Tsitsipas. The other semifinal was Rune against Felix. Um, not so much to talk about there. Felix was on a 16-match winning streak, obviously, having won three yeah. titles the week before that. He was uh, obviously feeling it physically, and he ran into a really top-notch uh, opponent who was on a great run, and we'll get to Rune later. But I guess let's focus on Djokovic and Tsitsipas, because um, obviously this has been a matchup that hasn't had... Um, like they've had, they've had a few good matches in Rome, and most of them have been on clay, the good ones. Yeah. Um, but on a hard court, uh, Sitsipas, of course, has those two wins against him in Canada and in Shanghai. But really, a lot of their matches, apart from those, have been fairly straightforward for Djokovic. Most most of them yeah. have been six three six four, or you know, like one break in each set, 
and you and so I thought this was a really good performance for Sitsipas to come back from a set down and make this as competitive as it was, especially because it was in in, in danger of being a blowout again. Yeah, I mean, if you watched that first set, Djokovic lost one point on serve, I think. Yeah. Um, it was 6-2. It seemed like a continuation of the moves that he beat down. And I think the thing was, like, it was close. Well, not close, but Tsitsipas was keeping pace through his first two service games. And then Djokovic just took it up a notch and blew him away. Um, yeah, it was it was not close. Um, it And, like, it's still wild that Djokovic can do this to top opponents because Tsitsipas is ranked, what, like, Fourth, fifth in the world. Yeah, uh, I guess now he's yeah. third, but but yes, like he's he's yeah. been a top five I, I mean, player. Djokovic was making him look like a junior through no fault of Tsitsipas's. I mean, as always, I'll say he should have found a way to do more on the return in that set because um, one mm. point is just not enough by any stretch of the imagination. But like he wasn't playing badly, um, and he got crushed. Yeah, and that was the first set, and then it was um, he was he was down. I think one two love thirty, and yeah, something like that. And then he got out of that game and held. And then you yeah. felt like, okay, the match is starting to get a little... It's starting to get more competitive. He started getting the crowd behind him. He started... Um, which I thought was a good move, actually, because... Yeah, um, I, I liked that a lot. Like, he um, he would urge the crowd on, like, on kind of, like, inconsequential points. Like, he'd win a point at, like, 30-15, and it'd be a decent point, but not a great one. And he'd be like, yeah, get up. And, like, that's awesome, you know? Like, go down kicking and screaming. Like, be weird. Yeah. Um, and it certainly helped his intensity, and I saw that fight again. That yeah. uh, you know, the Sitsipas without all the scar tissue, um, the last couple mm-hmm. of years, he definitely had that when he first broke out on the screen, and he believed like he could beat anyone. Um, yeah, and he he sort of played like that a little bit in the second set, like bossing points with his forehand, serving a lot better, um, taking his chances on the return. He was pretty opportune. Yeah, I, that's the best he's returned all year. I would say, like he he hit multiple good backhand returns in that set. Like, he broke Djokovic twice. Like, that, that is massive for him. Um, and kind of massive for anyone at this point to break Djokovic twice on a set in a hard, on a hard court. Um, but especially considering how the first set went. Like, it was, it was amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, and then I thought some other things that stood out, obviously, Tsitsipas's forehand defense, uh, turning a lot of points around. Um, you know, just hanging in these rallies, just, like, hanging tough and not allowing him to get pushed, not allowing Djokovic to push him too far behind the baseline, and especially in those... And, and like, Djokovic was having to be really precise to get it to Tsitsipas' backhand, because, you know, Tsitsipas was doing actually a pretty decent job, like, hanging in... Um, you know, obviously, when he has time on his backhand, it, it, it doesn't really miss much. The whole purpose of yeah. um, his backhand, why people say it's more of a weakness, is so you can force short balls, and then you can attack off of them. And I didn't feel yeah. like Djokovic had so much success hitting through Steph um, in that second set because because I think Sitsipas's forehand defense it really held up and it turned a lot of points around and then he was the one who was it, it felt like the, the the match sort of was on his racket and for a t- for a time in that second set. Yeah, and I think it was also an illustration of sort of how confidence affects a match because so no one can keep pace with a one hundred percent Djokovic on a hard court, right? But. I think the elite can keep pace with a 90% Djokovic on hard court. And so mm-hmm. I think as Tsitsipas was surging, Djokovic dropped just that little bit. And you can yeah. see it, right? Like Tsitsipas started taking over points. Like, I think he started moving better and defending better. Like, I do think players will defend better when they're confident. Like, yeah. And it doesn't really seem like those two things should be correlated. But if you're doing all the running, then I feel like you're not going to maybe take that extra step when you have to. But when things are going well, it's like, yeah, I can still win this point if I'm on the run. Um, 
And yeah, I mean, that forehand defense, it's probably the most underrated part of his game. On clay, I think it's devastating. Yeah. Um, and it's really good on the hard court, too. Like, the match I'll point people to was um, the 2021 Barcelona final with Nadal. Yeah. Foss makes a couple of ridiculous gets deep on his forehand. Um, like, 15 feet behind the baseline, dead run, resets points, especially early in the match. Um, I was watching it, and it seems like borderline unfair. Um, and yeah, like you said, it definitely came into play in the second set of this match. Yeah, for sure. And then once it was one set all, and um, Tsitsipas was serving first to start the third. I mean, I guess in his third service game, he was under pressure right away. He was fifteen forty down. Yeah. And, and at that point, all as well, right? yeah, at that point, I thought Djokovic was going to break there, and it wasn't going to be a super close third set. But you know, again, to Tsitsipas's credit, he holds there. He saves those two break points, um, and. You know, and, and Djokovic is getting a little annoyed at this point because he thinks, you know, I should have converted one of yeah. these chances. But it just it just made the match a lot more compelling. And then once it went to a tiebreak, I guess, um, yeah, like, and then he had two more at four all as well, right? So he had four break right. points. Um, yeah, and- four all is when the match got really good. Um, and it was interesting because I think the third set was sort of a combination of the first two. Like, on the one hand, Djokovic returned to his service dominance. He lost three points on service. Yeah, holding so very easily. Never, never in danger of being broken. But at the same time, Tsitsipas did a much better job of protecting his serve, saving all those break points, getting to the tiebreak. Um, and I want to talk about that four-all game especially, because they had a couple insane records yeah. after which Djokovic was visibly tired. And as we know with him, like that doesn't last long. Like you can make him visibly tired, and he will still beat you. But it's so amazing to see, just because it doesn't happen that often. Right, and there's that one point in particular that I distinctly remember, like Sitsipas hitting a ridiculous inside and forehand, and then followed by a followed by a drop shot that he somehow yeah had like great feel on. It was one of the points of, of the year. Like they had four, four all deuce, I think. Yeah, just yeah. a gorgeous point. Um. And yeah, he was so proactive during that rally, I remember, because Djokovic was hitting these cross-court backhand slices, and Tsitsipas was taking the extra time to like run around them and hit that forehand. Um, and like that, that's extra work, extra effort, but he got better shot quality for it. And at the end, like, yeah, Djokovic didn't fully run for that drop shot. He was, uh, he was staggered by that rally. Um, like you said, one of the points of the year is amazing. Yeah, for sure. And then, and then obviously we get to the tiebreak, and then. Oh yeah! <laughs> oh my gosh, the sequence of events that took place in some of these rallies. Uh, yeah, yeah. So we should start at three, all right? Yeah. Which is Sir Titipas gets on top of the rally. It's well, he was behind in the rally first, right? And then he got a lob on the baseline. Yeah. Left to the point, attacked inside out forehand winner for the break. Yep. Yep. And then, and at that point, for a fleeting second, I was like, "Wow, I think he's going to win." Um, yeah, I, then, I thought the same as well. I, I thought if he gets one of these next two points, he's in a good position. But obviously, yeah. Djokovic being as clutch as he is. <laughs> right. I, I mean, next point, I think he hit an inside in forehand winner on the line, and that made it 4 all. And then he got an error or something for 5 4. And then that was the point of the match at 5 4, certainly. Yeah. Um, but oh my goodness, like that, that point that we saw, was that a. Yeah, that was a uh, four three, I believe. Uh, four, yeah, yeah. Uh, five four. Five four. Five four. four Djokovic yeah. serving, right? Um, yeah. Where? Uh, I, quick trivia for you: How fast do you think Djokovic's second serve was? Like maybe a hundred and fifteen kilometers per hour. Not very fast. 
105, 65 miles an hour. Oh my goodness. 65 mile an hour. Okay, I didn't realize it was that slow. That slowest I've ever seen him hit. My goodness. So like, so he was tight, right? Like that, that is not something that Novak Djokovic does. And that, that speaks to how close this match was, I think. Like, he was nervous. And, um, and Tsitsipas, who, you know, is not a good aggressive returner, hits yeah. a great return here. He runs around the ball, inside out forehands, deep into the corner, um, which Djokovic then resets with his backhand defense. But it was a slow serve. Um, like I, I don't, didn't think that many people were fixating on that. It was a really slow serve. Yeah, I, 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 I felt like it was slow. I didn't realize it was sixty-five. That, that is really something. Yeah, that's that's a good observation. And and so I think like I mean, there's a lot to talk about in this rally. Midway through, TC Pass like goes for broke on an inside-in forehand, hits the line, maybe even the outside half of the line, and Djokovic, as he does on the dead run, blocks it deep into the other corner. And CT Pass has to control for him about his next shot. Um, <sighs> it's insane. Yeah, and then, you know, somehow Djokovic gets that ball back with his forehand and he's able to sort of semi lob it into the, like, hit a, hit a cross court forehand. And then all of a sudden it's like CT Pass had total advantage in that rally until he does it and then it's neutral. And then he actually cracks a backhand, <laughs> like, really, really hard cross court. Yeah. yeah. And, and he has exactly the short ball that he wants on the forehand. But Djokovic is so good at anticipating because as soon as he's in that the king. The king backhand corner, you can see, like, if you pause the video, you can see his hips. He is anticipating that Tsitsipas is going to hit behind him and he's not recovered all the way to the middle. So he's basically camped in that backhand corner. And Tsitsipas thinks, okay, I'll just go behind him and then I'll come finish at the net. But but Djokovic reads that play and he's like, a, he's, yeah. he's onto it in a flash. And then Tsitsipas has one of those volleys, which I guess, you know, kind of makeable... Most likely, he probably makes that if it's one all or two all in the in the set, yeah. but it's still but like not a put away volley. It's not a super easy one. Like yeah. it's, it can be tough to execute that on such a big point. So like, yeah, and I mean with this point, like, I think the reaction of a lot of people, especially people who dislike Djokovic, was like, oh, I can't believe Tsitsipas possibly an inside out forehand there. But like, how many times have you seen this happen? That's right. Yeah, like, he will just pick the right side. He knows what shot you're going to hit. Like. At this point, I think it's time to stop like blaming his opponents because he's so good at this stuff. Um, yeah. And I feel like an illustration of it, like you look at the volley that Tsitsipas hits, even if it goes over, Djokovic had that covered as well. Like he was. Yeah, that. he was sitting on it. Like, like it was headed straight for him, and it's like, and I feel like we see this pretty often as well. Like, um, maybe someone misses a smash or a swing volley, but Djokovic is still waiting on that side of the court, and so it's like. Should you have made it? Yeah, but I don't think that guaranteed that he was going to win the point. No, because definitely Djokovic not. Because is so good with picking the right side. Yeah, probably not. Could have been another two-shot pass right after that, and Djokovic yeah. could have recovered. Like it's just, yeah, yeah. And then, and then match point, huge serve, huge forehand smash, and that's it. Yeah, for sure. Um, but yeah, like you had to expend a lot of emotional and physical energy to win this match for sure, and. You could see it with his reaction at the end. And, um, yeah. And and I think I said this to you on the call. It was to the extent that I thought Bruno would beat him in the final, even before it started. Um, yeah, I thought, I, you know, and I agreed with you as well. But of course, the turn of events that actually happened, I didn't expect Runa to win from a set down <laughs> and in the fashion that he did. 40. Yeah, so so many chances, I guess. I mean, if we could just set up uh, the, the final, because... 
Um, I mean, obviously, Runa has been doing really well, like even before the Paris Masters, post-US Open, indoor hard courts. The main thing that's improved for me is his serve. Um, obviously, his serve and serve plus one play. Obviously, we know he's a really well-rounded and complete player. There's not really a whole lot of weaknesses in his game. Um, obviously, like moves. Yeah, big, huge second serves. I mean, he really goes after that second serve. Like, he goes 110 average sometimes. And and he makes them. And he backs himself. And then, obviously, he's playing with that freedom. And, you know, one of the best backhands I've seen. Uh, it's right up there with some of the best players right now. And, and his forehand is... It, it, his technique and the way he takes it so early and he's looking to move forward and finish it and then it, it's a little bit like Alcaraz um, just some of the things that he can do it's it's super complete and it's and then he also has really good defense so he can you know kind of just rely on like give a seating court position and going back like maybe five or six feet and just like blocking shots back with depth and then getting himself into rallies I mean he was winning long points against some of these top 10 players and I think it really started with the match against Vavrinka, because obviously Vavrinka had three match points. And obviously they had a little altercation at the net, and Stan told him, like, you know, my one advice for you is, like, to grow up and stop being a baby, or something like that, something to the effect fair, of... Fair point. Yeah, I think yeah. Like, stop behaving like a brat on the court. Like, we, we know Bruno's track record, so... Yeah, it's not been good, obviously. He, has, um, some, he hasn't had the best reputation so far as a 19-year-old. I mean, last year with some of the homophobic slurs, some of the stuff he yeah. does on social media, but, you know, we're, we're all... He got pulled by Casper Rude. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, not so... <laughs> he got the head yeah, that was really a shocker for me because obviously, I mean, who who in the right mind messes with Rude and like exactly. like ends ends up like not being his friend? So I, I don't know. It was just, but but you know, all all this stuff can can maybe change. He's nineteen. Uh, obviously, he has a really good uh, he has a really good game. It will be interesting to see how his personality evolves. But so far, he doesn't have a great track record. But I guess you know uh, that match from Stan aside, he then goes and beats Harkoch in straight sets, handles Ruba with ease. Um, obviously, there's that match with Alcaraz. Um, pretty unfortunate for Alcaraz to have to retire. I mean, the domino tear. He's going to be out for six weeks. Yeah, I mean, he's going to be out for six weeks. But you know, I think Alcaraz made the right decision, and hopefully, the six weeks doesn't bleed into his off-season training because um, that unfortunately is probably going to. But uh, but yeah, I mean, and then nonetheless, then he beats Felix. And then now, now you're thinking against Djokovic. I mean, he's got to win the first set. Djokovic is 30 and 0 in Masters 1000 finals when he does. And I mean, Djokovic has a front runner as top of the deck. Like he, he never loses for a set. Yeah, like literally never. And this first set was very routine. It was in some ways very similar to the Steph match. It was just one break, a um, couple of double faults actually by Rune to give the break in the first set, right. um, like in a row. And uh, and you thought, okay, this is like, Rune's going to run out of gas. It's like love 40 now at the start of the second. And then actually Djokovic uncharacteristically made a lot of errors that I look back on now and I'm like, dang, you don't see him miss a lot of these shots very often. I mean, there was one... Yeah, that 30-40 point too with the smash. Yeah, with the smash. And then there was like another easy return that he missed at 15-40. There was a backhand pass, like very routine. He normally makes that very easily. Uh, so like three chances for Djokovic where like he couldn't finish the points. Mm-hmm. And and then he just doesn't play a really good game. Rune keeps holding. He takes that second set, and then we go to a third. And Djokovic actually goes up a break again, and this time he's up three one forty thirty. Rune double faults just like he did in the first set. Yeah. And actually, I think it might have even started at three one thirty low. Like Rune just hits like a ridiculous like second serve return, like just blasts it right at no max feed. Djokovic is trying to serve in volley, um, doesn't make it. 
And then at 40-30, I guess the really shocking point for me was at Deuce, when Djokovic didn't put away the volley. Yeah. Um, and he just kind of hit it, like, he had an open volley, and, like, he pretty much had the open court, and he just tried to go back behind Runa, but he hit it so short, and Runa just got right. to it, up, got up to it really quickly, and anticipated the next shot, and hit a good, like, backhand reflex volley at net. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 40-30 as well, like, that approach, right? Um, yeah, got past pretty easily. Uh, yeah. fairly simple. And then on breakpoint as well, he got past as, as well. I guess that time I give Rune more credit because he yeah, really that covered was a that. Because Djokovic was dictating for 10, 15 shots there. And Rune hung in. Um, yeah. You know, I wonder if Djokovic was a little out of gas at that point with the... Um, I think he was because he was stretching his quad. Uh, he was stretching his quad quite a bit. Um, he was asking for some electrolytes. He was like just constantly stretching, right? I mean, like it was... Yeah. I think he was just... Like, yeah, I mean, the match from the day before and also, like, they had a lot of lengthy rallies that went, like, over five shots. And I was surprised how well Rune's backhand was holding up in some of these rallies. I mean, he was hitting some backhand down the line winners. Like, I think he outnumbered Djokovic in backhand winners. It was, like, 16 to 9 or something at the end of the match. Wow. So, yeah, like, that's a great set. That's that's something you can, like, hang in your personal office or, like, put in your tennis bag or something. Right, and there's not many players who can really do that and, like, drag out those exchanges and win. Like, I think if you look at, like, 9-plus shots, Rune had the edge, 15-11. to 11. You look at, like, 5-8, to eight, okay. Rune also had the edge. Um, it was Djokovic who was actually winning a lot of, like, forces, uh, like, surplus one points, like, under four shots. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, he, was, he was dominating that category, but it's not very often you see Djokovic go, like, whatever, uh, you know, like... Like Rune going three for three on break points, Djokovic going for two for twelve, and I mean, Djokovic winning more points because you know Djokovic kind of gave away a service game at five all, and I was convinced yeah. he was breaking back in the last game because he was playing great tennis, but he forgot how to convert a break point. Like Rune was clutch, but Djokovic made a couple of really weird errors. He had like five or six chances in that last game and didn't take any. Of them. Yeah, six break points, and I would say three of them uh, credit Rune, and three of them. Djokovic really should have had it. Like, there was a backhand pass that he missed cross-court. Normally makes that. Um, Yeah, like, didn't... Like, tried to go for the line on the backhand cross-court approach. There was another point where he just, like, missed another routine shot. Uh, Cross-court forehand. Cross-court forehand into the net. Which made no sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then there was another one. I completely forgot. But he just couldn't finish. And then there were, like, three, like, really good... Like, there was one really good surplus forehand, one really good unreturnable. So, like, Rune was hanging tough in his last game, but, like, I mean, something tells me if this went to a tiebreak, I would pick Djokovic almost any day. Me too. Um, and, yeah, it was... I, like, again, Rune was so clutch. I'm, yeah. I, I mean, like, down to 30, he started hitting, like, massive serves. Like, a lot of players got broken in that game, to be clear. Um, right. But it was weird, because Djokovic would play all these amazing points. He'd play, like, an amazing deuce point, and then he would just yeah. make an error on the break point. And it was like... And after that happens two or three times, like, even as it kept going to deuce, I just kind of knew that Rune was going to win, because Djokovic is usually so ruthless on those break points, and it just wasn't happening. Yeah, for sure. And also those two points he played five all. He was thirty love up in that game as well. Oh, and then right. like yeah. thirty all he misses an easy like an easy for it was an easy forehand to get broken, like wide. Yeah. At thirty forty, and there was another easy miss before that at thirty all. Just like two routine shots. Just no like we normally don't see him miss in those moments, but it happens. Yeah. Like I feel like you, every every year you have like one or two matches if you're as good as Novak. 
yeah. probably have one or two matches like this where you're just not as clutch as you are in other situations. Yeah, and you know, end of the year back to back three hour matches, like it, yeah. it happens. It's not. I, I'm not remotely worried about him, um, but his resume is so good that it was so years. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, and like, it kind of reminded me of the Federer versus Team Indian Wells 2018. It was the same scoreline, and it was the same kind of thing where like Federer had like all these break yeah. chances, and like he only took one out of eleven, and Team was like more opportune, and like just like Djokovic had these two misses that. Five all thirty all. Federer did something with his like he went for two drop shots in a row or something like that. And yeah, the, the first like one didn't yeah. break again, but the second one was awful. I yeah. I remember following the live score of that because I I really wanted Federer to win after that Del Potro final in Indian Wells the previous year, and I remember he, like he won the first set break point up in the second. Like team was not the force then that he became like later that year and the next year. And then I just remember watching it spiraling out of control for, like, no apparent reason a lot of this time. So yeah. yeah. Um, that, that's a good comparison, because that, that match was weird. But I felt like both Federer and Djokovic understand, like, that can happen once in a while. And then they, they, yeah. they kind of took that on the chin. And like, at least, like, you know, Federer didn't seem so upset by that loss, like he had against Del Potro. Yeah. He, he kind of felt like, okay, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I think he won Miami after that and went on to have, like, a good first half of the year. But, but nonetheless, um, going back to this, like... Like, winning, winning this, I guess, what does this really mean? Because, like, it's it's the Paris yeah. Masters. It was a really big title. He beat five top ten players. He, he's in the top ten now himself. He's an alternate for Turin. He started the year ranked outside the top hundred. All of these things are, like, great achievements. But, like, um, yeah. you know, but then, you, uh, but then because it's Paris Masters, you have to ask the question, right? Like, I mean, I don't think this is, like, a Hatchinoff 2018 type situation, right? I, I know, feel like this, this feels is... Than that. Um, I feel like I this mean, is... I'll I'll be open about the fact that like I'm not a huge fan of the guy. Um, I mean the the Twitter persona, the some of the on court behavior yeah. is just very tough. Um, that said, I mean you beat Djokovic from a set down in a Masters final. I almost don't even care about the rest of it because that's so impressive. Um, mm. I mean I I was going to make this joke earlier. Like I think with with people saying Alcaraz is like the perfect combination of the big three, like by that standard, Runa is like the goat or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but not really, obviously. I mean, I, it's probably too soon for him to to start making projections of him winning majors. Like, I think yeah. physicality and best of five is still a question. I like, yeah. you know, I obviously would pick Djokovic to get him in Australia or really anywhere for that matter at the majors. I think there are other players ahead of him too. Um, but I mean, yeah, if he continues on his trajectory, like he's going to get to where he wants to go. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. But I, but I will also say, like, it feels like Alcaraz has rivals now. Where, like, this is the yeah, first time since 2010. Exciting. I mean, this is the first time since 2007 that we have two teenagers in the top ten. Like, since Djokovic and Murray. So that, yeah, that feels... And, and uh, those two wound up being pretty good. <laughs> right. And they're born, like, a week apart. And I think Rune kind of feels like everyone talks about Alcaraz. No one talks about me. I need to prove people wrong. And he kind of goes on the court with that kind of mentality. Which is like... Yeah. Yeah. It, it's great. And, and I think it's that same thing as Boyd Center as well, maybe just a little more quietly. Like, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised at how fast young guys have been coming up to, like, challenge Alcaraz. Because I think there was a decent part of this year when it seems like he was just going to, like, sweep everyone. Um, there was no one close to him. And now, like, Center's beaten him a couple times. Like, Runa's coming up. Felix was on a crazy hot streak. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Um, and so now it feels like there was four. Like, yeah. I, I mean, I still think Alcaraz is the best among them, but it feels much closer than it did. It feels like there are some potential rivalries there. I'm very excited. Yeah, same. Feel the same about those four. Um, but now, yeah, I mean, I guess look, looking ahead now, uh, I guess the ETP finals. I mean, is there anything else from the Paris Masters that stood out to you? Like just some big wins from other players. Oh, I guess um, Medvedev losing early. Yeah, uh, to Dimonor. Medvedev. That I, I was going to bring that up as well. Um, that made no sense to me because he had been playing well and well. Like Dimonor, like nice player, fast. Like he's learned how to use the net pretty well. Medvedev should never lose to him ever. With with those compare those compared skill sets, like no way. Um, so and. I'm sort of convinced there's a bit of an injury thing going on because Medvedev was hitting, even by his standards, some really bizarre-looking forehands that had no pace. And so it was like, is something happening to his torso or something? I hope it's a one-time thing because that was worrying. Yeah, and I, and I do think, yeah, like it, it was definitely one of those losses that was really shocking because he won the first set. He won the second set six-two. Um, he was up a break in the third. He double-folded twice, just played a horrible service game to lose the match. And yeah, like that that shouldn't happen. Like in the first round, Stewart, there's no pressure. Like Yeah. And, if, and then sometimes I feel like with Medvedev, I mean, yeah, he has the serve and yeah, he has the amazing court coverage. And his backhand is one of the best, it's so reliable. But yeah. sometimes when he's tight or when he's not or when he's tired or when something is bothering him, um, it can sometimes spiral out of control. Like his surf can spiral out of control, his forehand. Yeah. He can change his technique around mid rally and sometimes it just drops short. It doesn't really finish. He kind of needs like a really quick court sometimes to really get that instant offense because he's not the best with his transition game. He's a little awkward at net. So there's all these things and I feel like someone who can net rush and really hang with him in baseline rallies. Like I'm actually interested. I'm interested to hear your take because like everyone asks me like, you know, is what is Medvedev's like best surface? Is it like indoor hardcore or is it like I mean, is it like slow hardcourts or is it like fast? Right. But I feel like it kind of depends on the matchup. Like if he plays a player like Dimitar who's really fast and it's not as fast of a court, and you can like sort of hang with him in those baseline exchanges, it can be like that kind of an opponent can be a difficult matchup for him. But if it's like a really fast court and you have players like think like a Hercotch or like a Kyrgios, like someone who just like net rushes or like serve and volleys, like I guess Djokovic yeah. at the Paris Masters, like this, these different type of styles that I feel like, like people kind of understand now what they need to do against Medvedev to like yes. pressure him, which, um, yeah, like it just, it makes it a little bit harder to put him as like a, like a lock to win big titles sometimes. It's a great point, and I think that, you know, a year or two ago, those weaknesses really weren't apparent. Um, I mean, I think if you watch the, like, the World Tour Finals two years ago, it, like, it really seems like he was almost Djokovic 2.0 in terms of just not having any weaknesses on that surface. Um, yeah. But yeah, you, you're right. Now, like, it's much clearer what you do. Um, there is a low gap on slow and fast hard courts. Um, still a great player. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's... 
Yeah, I, I, the tactical mastermind thing is really falling apart, I think. Um, mm. And I also just don't think he's gotten that much better in the last year since winning the U.S. Yeah, Open. I was going to ask you, like, the, the U.S. Open, can he, can he improve from that level? Because I feel like maybe this is the best we're going to see from him. Like, I, I, and which is, like, a really, really darn good level. Like, believe me, yeah, like, yeah. it's going to win him... It's, I, I feel like he can, right? Like, and I think we saw some of that at the Australian Open. Like, I almost felt like part of the match with C.T. Foss, like maybe that last set, and then the first two and a half against Nadal, I almost felt like I was better. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it really seems like he was borderline unbeatable when he was playing that way. Um, yeah. It just fell apart very quickly, and we haven't seen it since. Um, I think you make a great point about the serve. Like, it's a great shot, but it's temperamental. He loses it easily. Um I'd rather have, like, a less powerful serve that was more consistent. Um, like a Djokovic or even, um, or like Tsitsipas or even a Ritz, really. Um, mm. yeah. So, I, I don't know. I, and, like, I'm, I'll be clear. I'm someone who's really, really big on Medvedev. Like, when peak Medvedev shows up, I'm, I'm ready to project that he's going to win, like, not everything, but a lot of stuff. Like, I think peak Medvedev is outrageously good. Yeah. But not peak Medvedev is sort of more and more depressing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I worry about him a little bit at this point. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Um, but we'll see. Like, you know, he's proven, like, he's gotten me twice because after he won Los Cabos, I was like, okay, yeah, this is his time now, you know, second half of the year. He loves these yeah. conditions. Like, you know, he's gonna he's probably going to win a couple of Masters. He's going to do really well at the U.S. Open. And then, you know, Kyrgios gets him twice. And then there's, like, this... The U.S. Open was really disappointing. Yeah, and then and then there was, like, this Vienna. He wins that title, you know, like, great match against Shapovalov. Like, you yeah. know, really good level in Astana, even though he had to retire. Like, some of the yeah. best stuff I've seen from him in a long time. And then I thought, okay, he was poised for a run here, and then he lost early. Yeah. And then it just kind of... I, I still put him as one of the contenders to win next week in Turin, just because he's yeah pretty good at this event, and he's... Like, he he has such a high base level, but, yeah, a little bit worried. Yeah, yeah. I, I was really unsure to see you after the, um, the shot and ball of match and that tournament in general, because, like, he, that was sort of the quintessential match, because he came out against a two-game opponent, you know, lost four of the first five games, weathered the storm, lost that first set, and then, like, took on the peaking opponent, met him at that level, and then exceeded him in the third set, right? And just completely turned the tables, blowout in the end. And I was like, this is, you know, this is great. This is what he does. It's amazing. That level would beat anyone. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. You cannot be the favorite for the World's Four Finals after the Paris you just had. So yeah. I, like, I'd like to be optimistic. I think I am kind of cautiously optimistic, but he should make it out of his group. But, like, I'm not going to say he wins the whole thing. Yeah, for sure. And then, um, yeah, obviously, um, you had Nadal going on a little early, uh, losing in the first round to Tommy Paul after winning the first yeah. set, going up a break in the second. Uh, I think he just a bit short on competition, to be honest. Like, I, you know, yeah. he just hasn't really been in that competitive really mindset frame, hasn't really looked himself since the start of Wimbledon. Like, some matches early on at Wimbledon were good. He sneaked out that awesome win against Fritz, but really like since then we haven't seen like Rafa in full force and obviously these conditions make it harder like his top spin doesn't really reward it uh, it sits up uh, for players to attack and Tommy Paul is a solid top 30 player he's had like some really good results but like That's yeah. Um, yeah that was weird it was um, for sure something seems to happen physically I didn't watch it um, that's what people were saying uh, yeah I mean if I'm 
dubious on Medvedev. Um, I'm worse than that on Nadal. I mean, if he is going to do anything at the World Tour Finals, his forehands needs to just be in ballistic mode. Um, mm-hmm. You rarely see that in that time of season. We haven't seen it probably since that Wimbledon match against Fritz, and that was when he was redlining because of the injury. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, he'll probably be rude. Um, I don't know. I Yeah, my expectations for him are low uh, at the World Tour Finals. Um, yeah. Easier group. Um, not by as much as I think people are saying, um, but yeah, I don't expect much from him. Yeah, that's you know that's fair. And he hasn't won like Paris Masters or ATP Finals. It, it's not really um, like you know even when he goes in fresh, it's just more players can hurt him on these in these type of courts. And I feel like yeah. it's kind of like the Tiafo and Paul are like very similar type of players. You know, they kind of take the ball super early on their backhand. Yeah. They can hang with Nadal in those cross court patterns. They can like they just come to the net and they have really good feel, and they can just sometimes take. Rally is like just out of your hand. Um, yeah, if you're and, dropping the ball short, and it's like, yeah, and and that's the key against it all. You want to take away his time, and um, it's easier to do that on the surface. Um, yeah, hard anywhere. Um, basically impossible on clay. Um, but yeah, if you're going to catch him anywhere, I think this is where you want to play him. Yeah, I, I did notice that Nadal was doing a few good things, like especially the first half of the match, like. He was um, stepping in, like, standing closer to return second serves. Yeah. Like, being aggressive off of those. Like, he had, like, a good purple patch where he just hit, like, straight return winners. Or um, It looked like he had the match just set in a breakup. But, yeah, it just didn't feel good when the split sets. You kind of knew uh, yeah. the match had just completely changed. And, um, yeah, it was a bit jarring to see, like, the last three games. He wasn't really serving or going all out. But, um, you know, I get it. And I guess yeah. now we go to the World Tour Finals. I guess if we look at the groups, uh, you mentioned Nadal. Nadal has Felix, Rude, and Fritz in his group. And the other group, we have Djokovic, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, and then Rublev. So yeah. uh, we look at this group, I guess it's, you know, my first thoughts were like, okay, this is like, you know, we could have some, we have some good potential, especially in the second group for some amazing matches like Djokovic, Medvedev, yeah. and yes, Tsitsipas. I feel like if we got three setters between all three, that would be like amazing. You know. Yeah, I'm I'm especially excited for that Djokovic Medvedev rematch after their abbreviated match in Asana because that yeah. that was great and it could have been monumental. So I hope that both go into that one motivated and we don't get a rematch of their 2021. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm curious to get your take on the groups because mm-hmm. um, people are saying Red Group is so much stronger, but I sort of look at that and I say like, okay, like Rublev, I'm not going to say he doesn't win it, just he's not getting out of that group. It's between the other. Um, so yeah, I feel the same. I, I think Titi Pass, he's won this tournament before, but I don't think this is. I don't think he's getting out there. Like, I think you have two pretty clear favorites, even with Titi Pass being in better form than Medvedev. So, like, maybe Titi Pass gets an over Medvedev, but I kind of doubt it. And Rublev, I think, is probably out of the run entirely. So, like, mm. it is the stronger group, but I feel like in the green group, like, Nadal, even out of form, is dangerous, I think. Um, yeah. Jose Aliasim has been great. Rude, maybe not the best environment for him, but I think he's capable of making it run. Um, and I feel like I feel like Fritz could beat anyone in that group as well, which yeah. I don't feel that rude of. Um, and so, like, if I had to pick one, like, Red is stronger, but I don't think it's by that much. Yeah, I feel the same. Like, one is definitely stronger, but not by, not by a whole lot. Like, it could have been more imbalanced than it was. You know, yeah, like, you could have... 
like you you could have not had you, you could have even had like you know Nadal in the other group and like you, like you could easily have like three and one in terms of like the the four best players who I thought were in really good form Djokovic Felix Medvedev and Tsitsipas after Paris and then yeah, after that you'd probably go Rafa and then you have an unbalanced group you probably go Rafa, and I feel like, you know, Rude, uh, this is one of those times, again, where we're all counting him out, <laughs> and we've been doing that all year, and then the guy is just, like, a master sometimes at proving people wrong in terms of making these deep runs. Um, a few yeah, things, like, fall into his place, here. but um, but I just don't, but, like, even if he doesn't have a great run, like, at, at this point, I don't, like, it doesn't really matter much, because, like, he had, he's made two slam finals, like, it's not really his thing this time of the year. He made the semis last year. And I don't feel like he has as much to, you know, maybe prove, like, going into next year. He probably just needs to have a good, solid season at the major next year and, like, continue building. I mean, it would be, like, a really good statement if he, like, you know, beat, like, one of the dollar... I, I guess, like, just hope for a better match against Rafa because, um, yeah. like, after the French Open final, they've not played any other time. So this might yeah, be the best be a- best place to catch Nadal if you're r- rude. Yeah. Yeah, great opportunity to, to kind of reorient the dynamic that rivalry for them but um but yeah i this is sort of what you said about one of the issues i have with this tournament like i just feel like i feel like the people who have the most to gain are the ones who didn't have good years right like nadal is not going to win this tournament but that's fine because he won two majors you know like djokovic like hasn't won this in many years like he won wimbledon this year not the end of the world if he doesn't win it i wonder who it's the most important for like it's a good question yeah like well, maybe Medvedev. Sort of what I'm thinking, like, maybe Medvedev. Uh, right. Like Djokovic. Like it's impo- like yeah, but he's won it five times and he hasn't won this since 2015. Yeah, yeah. I, I think like, Rublev needs momentum. I think. Yeah. I think to an extent, Tsitsipas does too. Um, yeah. But this is sort of what I'm getting at. That like I think the people who have the most to gain have the worst chance of winning, with mm. some exceptions. But and so because of that, I feel like you know, like either Djokovic wins and it's like yeah, okay, or like. <laughs> A spoiler wins and it's like okay but like you know that would never happen in danger and so it's just like what are we playing for here and the answer mm-hmm. is like ranking points and a crap ton of money but from <laughs> crap ton of money and i guess point, i i don't know how much this says about anything yeah no you make a good point about like what does it mean like for next year and like the long term in terms of like the landscape like that's you know we've definitely seen that especially with runs at this time of the year um I, I just happen to like the fact that it's like round robin and it's kind of just throws a different mix because like you can lose and you can still like play again and you still have a chance like you can literally go one and two and still make the semis you can go two and one and not make the semis like there's just so many permutations and combinations sometimes with the math especially yeah. like i'm you know I, I could easily imagine like we have like three s- straight like three setters like between like like let's say Djokovic just has an off day and he doesn't beat medvedev but like right. Medvedev beats Djokovic, but then like somehow against Sitsipas he doesn't come through or something like that. But like yeah. like Sitsipas like needs to win in straight sets against Rublev, but oh no, Rublev wins the set, you know? And it's like <laughs> and it's like you could like like do you remember like, you know, like there've been like many times before, like in round robins where it's just like you would have totally thought these two players would go through, but then just something weird happens and you get these yeah. like um like, like, I, it's it kind of makes things interesting. Like, I'm, I'm really curious because, like, like Nadal Felix, you know, like, how does that look on an indoor hardcore? Like, how does, yeah, how, how does Felix surplus one dominance like go with Rafael Nadal on the surface? It's like I, probably pretty well. As yeah. um, I would say, like, you know, if you took him to five sets at Roland Garros, like, you know, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, you're right. Like, I. 
And like, I feel like for Rublev, I, I mean, I don't think he will see it this way because I think his mindset is not right. It's but honestly the him. worst group he could have landed in, like to have Djokovic and Medvedev. It's like he's got a free shot at a bunch of the best players in the world, right? So he should just go out there, swing for the fences, and see what happens. Um, yeah. And not think that he should beat everyone, which he shouldn't and he won't. Um, but, I mean, yeah, I think at the least it's a great opportunity just to mix it up against top players. Like, I think Fritz as well. Like, yeah. he has a tendency to not close the deal in big big matches, you know? Here's in the a majors, yeah. a bunch of big players in succession. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there are some things to get excited for. Um, do you want to make predictions? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, I'm not confident about any of these, obviously, but, like, um, I, I have a feeling that Nadal beats Rude. Uh, it's just a really bad matchup for Rude. Um, yeah, that's that's fair. And Felix... Um, see, like, I'm high on Felix, but then I also wouldn't be shocked if he just throws in, like, one stinker match, you know? Like, let's say he's up to love in the group, yeah. and he just plays Rude again, and he's just... Like, do you remember, like, in Canada, they played, it was, like, a terrible performance by Felix, and he lost, yeah. like, one and two. he got, like, what... Three games. Yeah, and like so, like, I don't know if there's something in that. I mean, I didn't watch that match very closely, but like, you know, it could just happen. Like, it's a dead rubber. Yeah. Um, or like, or like, honestly, like Nadal could just beat him like four and four or something. Right. Like, I, it's that wouldn't be stunning to anyone. I think so. Right. So, like, I, I don't know if he finishes one or two, but I'll say Felix gets out of his group tentatively. I mean, yeah, me too. Him and him and Fritz played once this year. The ATP Cup. Fritz won it in three sets, but like. I don't know, you know, it's like kind of a toss-up. <laughs> so I'll go with Felix to get out of the group. I'll say I'll hesitantly pick Nadal just because, like, his fighting spirit is... Interesting. And, like, because he's um, proven me wrong, like, in, at the Australian Open and a few moments this year. Um, and because, like, he lost early in Paris. He's he probably got to the World Tour Finals early. He's been playing a lot of sets against top players, I'm assuming. Um, and usually, like, you know, against Fritz, like, you know, he wasn't 100% at Wimbledon, but, like, he found a way through and maybe if it... You know, maybe he doesn't start out strong, but then maybe he squeaks against one or Felix or Fritz, like in a third set tie break or in a really close yeah, match. Yeah, it could be a 2019 situation. Yeah, like a 2019 situation. Terribly, yeah. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, that's. Right. Um, like, yeah, I, I don't hate that direction. I, I think Felix probably gets out as number one. Um, yeah, Nadal too, like, probably. Uh, I, I, I'm going to go really just to be honest. I think okay. I think Rude will beat Fritz. Um, Interesting. Yeah, they've never played each other. That's like one match we haven't seen. I think... You know, I, I'm going to go ahead and say Rude beats Nadal. I think... Um, Ooh, I like it. I think this is lower stakes than a, this lower stakes than a Roland Garros final. Better conditions for Rude. He's going to be motivated, and Nadal is out of form. So I, I okay. can see Rude going like 2-1. and one, Or even 3 and are enough things fall in his favor. So I'll, I'll say Rude and Felix. Um, hmm. All right, I'll go a little different. I'll say Felix and Nadal. Okay, I, you always need your predictions, so um, uh, I feel like I—I <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes you got me, but yeah, maybe like one out of ten times. Um, what do you think about the red group? Um, I definitely don't think Rublev will make it. I think his best chance of winning is probably against Tsitsipas, um, like on an yeah. indoor court, this quick with his his surplus one. Um, yeah. But, like, she's, like... See, like, I don't know if Djokovic will go 3-0 in this group. Like, I I don't know. Because, like... Yeah. Like, you know, he can just, like, not start out very well against Medvedev. And that matchup for him sometimes in best of three 
it's been like 50 50 like you know it's gonna be hell either way yeah if he wins it's gonna take one um which is not what you want i'm confident that he beats Sitsipas. they play again on monday but i wouldn't be surprised if that goes three as well and then i wouldn't be surprised yeah. if like Sitsipas medvedev goes three you know what i mean and like we could see a lot of three setters in this group like, right. I, I think even Medvedev Rublev. If Medvedev doesn't show up, I think Rublev has a chance there. Yeah. I think mean, I mean, he'll need to peak, obviously. But it's not out of the question. Um, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, don't I know. think I just got to go. With Maybe Medvedev gets I, out as one and Djokovic two, but like, I don't feel like. I don't know who's going to be one or two. Like, these are just hunches. Yeah. I'll, I'll go Djokovic one, Medvedev two. Um, I feel like. I, like, I don't want to bet on Djokovic to win this tournament just because it hasn't happened for him since 2015, but I don't trust anyone else as much, so I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Wait, so I have Felix 1 and Nadal 2, and then the other group I have Medvedev 1. Yeah, I have Medvedev 1, Djokovic 2. Okay. So I've got Felix 1, Ruiz 2, and then Djokovic 1, Medvedev 2. So. Thanks. So what are your yeah? So like, what are your what are your semifinals? Okay, so it would be Felix and Medvedev. Oh, that'd be good. Um, wait, no, it would be right, right, Felix and Medvedev. Um, that's right. tough. Okay, I feel like if Medvedev gets out of his groove, and then you have Nadal Djokovic, right, for your other um, semi? No, Rude Djokovic. Oh yeah, that's right. You're not picking Rafa to get out of the group. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, Nadal Djokovic would be great. I'm pissed they're not in the same group. Um, but uh-huh. yeah, so I feel like if, if Medvedev plays well enough to get out of his group, I think he'll beat Felix. Okay. It's going to be tough, but I think he'll do it. And then, obviously, Djokovic over Rude. And then... Does Djokovic beat Medvedev twice in the same tournament? I don't know. This is tough. Yeah. It's kind of hard. I... No, I, Medvedev's lost against Dean or I have to hold against him, so I'll, I'll say Djokovic beats Medvedev again. Okay, and then that's your prediction, like, yeah. for, for the final. Okay, interesting. I think I have the same final as you. Okay. Okay, yeah, but I have, I have so the thing is that I have it reversing, because I have Medvedev beating Djokovic in the round robin. Right. And so then I have, um, I have Nadal and Medvedev playing each other this time, because Nadal is two and Medvedev is one. And then Djokovic Felix. I feel like Djokovic Felix could be really good. Yeah, that could go either way. Um, I feel like any match with Felix and it could go either way to be honest. And you know what? Like Djokovic hasn't done very well in these semis recently in these World Tour finals. Like, you know, think last year and the year before that against team. Particularly. But like and Felix's surplus one, I yeah, I don't know. Like it's like you know, Nadal Medvedev. Uh if it's anything like their twenty twenty match, that's probably gonna oh, be yeah. very exciting. Ah. I, I love Nadal. Medvedev. I, you know, I really wish um, Nadal were in the red group instead of Rublev or Tsitsipas. Probably Rublev. Um, yeah, for me, like I wanted, I wanted Tsitsipas and Nadal to swap, so that we could have Nadal and Djokovic in the same group. That was one of the reasons for my. Uh, yeah, and then, mm, well, well, like yeah. it's these matches could really go either way. This is like. Super fit. Yeah. So, so you've got Medvedev? Medvedev playing Nadal in the semis and Djokovic playing Felix. Okay. Um. And this, it's frustrating because, like, so I think Felix might be the best pick to win here. 
Right. Even with that winning streak, I don't think he's done enough against top players for me to call him a favorite. Like, so besides Alcaraz, that one time, and, like, Djokovic... Yeah. Like, like he, he's been very good. But like, given the gear he's had, he's been inconsistent enough that I'm not picking him. I'm not picking Nadal, Ruud, Fritz, Tsitsipas, or Rublev to win. And so that leaves Medvedev and Djokovic, and Medvedev just lost in the first round of Paris to Dianor. So that leaves Djokovic. By default, I have to pick him. <laughs> Yeah, I you know like the Nadal Medvedev one is interesting. Like if they play each other, I, maybe Nadal even gets yeah. the end if that happens. Like <laughs> you know, wow. okay, you know what? I'll I'll say Nadal beats Medvedev, so he gets wow. to the final, and I'll say Djokovic gets by Felix. And I'll say Djokovic beats Nadal in the final. After all of that, it's going to be like a repeat of the 2013 final with like Djokovic winning in straights, facing like one break point or whatever. Oh man, I, I I mean I you know Djokovic and it all in the final would feel right for a variety of reasons. Um, I don't think it'll happen, but I I like your prediction. Yeah, I, it feels kind of but like you know certain things like have to fall into place, but it is I feel like it's it is possible just because Nadal Medvedev recently like. Nadal knows what to do in that matchup recently. Like, yeah. just with the Australian and, and final and Acapulco. is gone, I think, between Acapulco and Australia. So yeah. he'll, he'll need to be, he'll need to win. I think, yeah. I, but we've, we've both got Djokovic winning, you know, Medvedev and Felix as other contenders. I, I, yeah, and I have a feeling that Djokovic-Felix, for me, semis, that could be the match of the tournament. Uh, I'm saying that... that could be yeah, I, I'm saying that could be, like, an epic. Yeah. So yeah, um, that's I, that's I it for me <laughs> for predictions. Yeah, but that, that was really fun. Um, that like we we got to do another one of these during or after the World Tour Finals. Like it'd be fun yeah. to check in um, before the semis and see how these predictions age. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but if this this year is anything to go by, um, I probably jinxed all these all of your favorite players if you're listening. So you know. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Sorry if you made it before, but yeah, yeah. So let's. I, I'm holding you to that check-in before okay. the semis, and then we will laugh at each other's predictions. Yeah, let's do it. I, I love being wrong in tennis too. That's one of my favorite things, actually. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I still remember confidently picking Medvedev to beat Djokovic in the Australian Open final last year. Um, yeah, and he won nine games. Oh, so fun. Anyway, um, all right. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me, Owen. Yeah. Yeah. This was, we'll, we'll this was great. All right, yeah, thanks for doing the podcast. Uh, and, yeah, be sure to follow us on all social medias. Um, you know, follow Owen at Tennis Nation. Follow Popcorn Tennis as well. They're doing really good work. Follow us at Tennis and Bagels. DM us if you uh, want us to do a show or a podcast on any, any topic uh, or if you have any other questions. Um, and, yeah, share this episode. Tell the whole world about it, you know, all that jazz. Yeah, and with that, yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling 
all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.